I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day, for I do not know their limits. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness of yours only. Those are verses 14 through 16 of Psalm 71, which is the psalm appointed for today, Thursday, May the 6th, 2021. I'm John Green, and I'm the host of Faith Seeking Understanding. Thank you for listening today. We're still in the book of Wisdom, also the Epistle to the Roman Church, as well as the Gospel of Luke. So we're continuing with um, Solomon's argument about why it's better to follow the Lord and why wisdom is found in the Lord only, and, and that wisdom is the chief thing to be sought. I mean, that's the first thing we have to agree on if we're to accept his, his uh, argument, and that is that wisdom is a thing. It's a thing to be sought and valued, and it may be had if you seek it from the right source. And that's the whole point of this argument. And Solomon says, if you're going to get anything in life, then get wisdom. And that wisdom comes only from the Lord. That there's not some other source of wisdom that is equal in any shape, form, or fashion. But that in seeking wisdom from the source of wisdom, then you can find it, you can possess it, because it will be given to you as a gift, not as something that you have um, attained or acquired for yourself. It's something that will be given to you. He wouldn't have said it this way, but it's absolutely the truth, and that is it will be given by the power of the Holy Spirit. You'll be given the wisdom to act in any given circumstance, and that's what... Jesus was saying when he makes the comment about when you're taken before rulers and authorities, don't worry about what to say in advance. It'll be given to you at the time when you need that. And I believe the same is true about so many different forms of wisdom, how to navigate a circumstance. If we will take the time and take a breath and take a prayer, then God will give us the way forward in any given circumstance. doesn't mean that everything's going to turn out fine. It's not Pollyanna that I mean when I say that. No, it just means that, that life comes at you fast, right? And so there's all kinds of circumstances that can present themselves to you, and they can present themselves in the blink of an eye when you're least prepared for it. The only thing that you can do in those circumstances is to do exactly what I said. Take a deep breath. And say, Lord, what would you have me do in this circumstance? I need you to come and be present with me in this moment that I might navigate this thing in a way that gives glory and honor to you. And that's the important thing is is that how we walk in any given circumstance gives testimony to him. And so um, if we take that breath and take that time to pray and ask him to come and be with us, then he is faithful to be with us in that circumstance. And that's what Solomon's getting at today begins by saying for the worshiping of idols is not to be named in the beginning. Worshiping of idols not to be named is the beginning, the cause, and the end of all evil. You know, that's a statement that we could make so easily and just leave there and say this is the most important thing that we could teach you today. Because if you could teach that, the worshiping of idols not to be named is the beginning, the cause, and the end of all evil. If, if you could believe that, then you'd be searching for something else because you'd walk away from evil and you'd be on the lookout for what you could find and what you could learn and what you could worship that was the opposite of that. 
And so we, we create so many idols. We've talked about that before. There's, there's many, many idols that we can create in our lives, whether they're our children, our spouse, our home, our work, our politics, whatever it is, our country even, anything can become an idol if it gets raised to the level of worship, if it rises above your concern for God. And, and as I pointed out last week, that there's a pretty simple test for what's an idol in your life and what's the God in your life. And the, 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 the thing that's your God, which can be an idol or it can be real, is where you give your money and your time. It's as simple as that. The way that you, the, what gets short shrift, what gets short changed in your life, what gets um, pushed to the back burner, right? So what, what moves to the front burner is the thing that's most important. So how do you spend your time? And I understand that you have a job and you have to work in many cases, but at the same time, are you doing that to the glory of the honor of the Lord? Are you taking him to your work? Or is that a time carved out and set aside as a place that doesn't belong to him and where he doesn't have a place? And so there's, there are easy ways to tell what's the idol in your life. It's not very difficult to determine the idol in your life. If you want to be honest and ruthlessly honest, then, then it's simple to find those idols. And so <clears throat> Solomon says is that, that whether they're mad when they be merry or prophesy lies or live unjustly or lightly forswear themselves. For inasmuch as their trust in it is in idols which have no life, though they swear falsely, yet they look not to be hurt." And so there, what he's saying is, is that, that there's, a, there's an end of all of this. If you're worshiping an idol, then, it, then you might look okay in the present because, well, the world is filled with idols. And, and we all can overlook the worship of idols. We can say, ah, oh, well, you know, that's just his thing. But Solomon says that that shouldn't be anybody's thing, shouldn't be worshiping an idol. Everybody's thing should be God, and it should be searching after him. Because if you'd like to get wisdom, if you'd like to get the most important things, the things that last, then you have to go to the source that itself lasts. And he ends this with praise. But thou, O God, art gracious and true, long-suffering and in mercy, ordering all things. For if we sin, we are thine, knowing thy power. But we will not sin, knowing that we are counted thine. For to know thee is perfect righteousness. Yea, to know thy power is the root of immortality. And if we seek after immortality, then we need to seek after it from the only one who possesses it. You know, we're in the midst of this whole thing of um, transhumanism. We're in that moment when, when there's an idea that we can better living through science is, is getting raised to a, an exponential level right now and, and we need to be aware of that, that that people are seeking after immortality but they're not seeking it through the one who is himself immortal it's we're creating a tower of babel essentially right now where we believe that we can improve this life to the point that we can maybe extend it indefinitely into the future and we're playing with something incredibly dangerous. We're opening a Pandora's box when we do that because we don't know what we don't know. And that's the really important thing. And so Jesus is pointing here to where are you looking for these things? You know, you, your idol might be immortality. All these idols have certain things in common, and that is is that, that they're goods in some way, in a lot of cases. <clears throat> but 
seeking after those things as a primary object makes them an idol. So it, it, even though something might be good, it can still be an idol because it's less than him. And so that's where Solomon's pointing us to is, is that we are to be pointed to the one who is himself immortal and the one who is himself all the power and wisdom in the universe. And so to navigate this life successfully and to do it in accordance with the principles with which the world was created, then we have to get that wisdom from him. So it's a, it's a, a denial of him as a good creator for us to seek after idols, to seek after other things. And, and so the, the point of all of this is to say, if you're going to get wisdom, if you're going to get all the things that you want, then you've got to seek them from the right source. And you've got to seek them in their order and in their priority. And it begins with seeking after him. And so when Jesus goes in this gospel lesson, he, it, it says they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes. Well, I guarantee you nobody in that boat actually wanted to go to the country of the Gerasenes. They considered that to be one of the places where uh, it's a gateway to hell <clears throat> is essentially the best way to say it. That, that that's what the country of the Gerasenes was seen as by the uh, Jewish community. And so Jesus takes the disciples to this place, and it gets even worse, right? Because they get there, Jesus, it says, when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. So as soon as he gets out of the boat, they're confronted by this demonic presence. And says, for a long time, this guy had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. Wow. What, what, what kind of a testimony is that about Jesus? And, and so we get this demonic presence here who has tormented this town, who is now begging Jesus to go away because... He doesn't want him to torment him. So he recognizes this greater power in him. And, and why does he say that? Well, it's, he says, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. So and, and the, it's the spirit in the man, the demonic spirit in the man speaking. Because then parenthetically, Luke tells us for many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. So it's the demon speaking that doesn't want to be tormented. It's not the man. The man has been tormented all these years. And so the demon speaks, and Jesus asks, what's your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. As I said, there's a, there's a gates of hell thing going on here. And so when they, they're begging Jesus not to throw them into the abyss, and the abyss must be a place where Jesus has control. So it's not, it's not a matter of just, okay, just throw us there for a little while in the, in the briar patch and we'll come out of it. No, Jesus must have control over the abyss, whatever that word might mean to them. And so then there was a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside. They begged him to let him enter these. So he gave them permission. So Jesus has control over these things, and he allows them to go into the pigs. And the pigs then go rushing off the cliff into the lake and drown themselves. It's a testimony to the man that he fought against that impulse. But these, these, the, the livelihood of those who kept these pigs is now in jeopardy because of what's happened with these. And so the herdsmen see this and they fled and told it in the city and the country. So the word about Jesus is going out 
um, and the power that he has and, and the things that he does are going out in this ungodly country now. And then people went to see what happened. And what did they see when they came to Jesus? They found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. I bet they were. They'd been tormented by him for all these years that, <clears throat> that he was doing these things. And now they see him sitting in his right mind, clothed at the feet of Jesus, which would mean that he's listening to and learning from Jesus. And the people then beg him to leave. Jesus, that is. They beg him to get out of there because they were seized with great fear. So they see the power that's in Jesus, which is the power that's greater than this man who couldn't be bound or shackled. And they feared him and begged him to go away. And then the man begs that he might go with Jesus. And Jesus says, no, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And so he's given a testimony at that point. He's given a testimony of the power of God operating through this man, Jesus, who has healed him of this great infirmity, of this infestation of demons. And now his testimony to the people around him is, is that he's been healed, and they know that because they knew who he was before. And it's similar in many ways to the man born blind and the other healings that Jesus does of, of people who had been under long-term oppression of one sort or another, like the man to pool at Bethesda, or the man that the disciples heal at the beautiful gate at the temple. And so this man now is an undeniable witness that stands before them and walks among them every single day. And they know who he was, and they know what happened. And they know that he was delivered from this powerful demon or demonic presence, actually, and they know who the one is who delivered him. So there will be a constant testimony of Jesus in this place so long as this man lives or so long as anybody who knows his story is around. It's important that we continue to bear testimony to all that he has done for us. Paul, in this passage from Romans, his main argument it has to do with it's for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. There's an old saying in the church. It goes back probably into the 17th century. A lot of people want to trace it back to Augustine, but it's highly unlikely that it has anything to do with Augustine in the 3rd or 4th century. Um, but the, the saying is, is something like this, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and in all things charity. And that's kind of Paul's argument here. And that is, if one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables, and then one person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And, and that's the important thing, is, is that we can have arguments in the church, and, and we have to determine what the essentials are. And I believe that's the point of the creeds in the church, is to point us to what the essentials are. If we can say and believe the right things about the creed, it's not just saying the words, because I've, I've come to understand that people interpret words in such a way that, it, that just because we say the same creed doesn't mean we believe the same things. They reinterpret things like resurrection to some weird spiritual thing where Jesus is essentially a ghost as opposed to the bodily resurrection of the dead. So you've got to be careful about in all things essential, in, all, in, in essential things unity. We've, it's not just a matter of saying the creed, but no, the creed has a particular content to it, Just not just the words, but it's also a sort of a content or, or deposit of belief about the words that we're saying that we need to be sure that we all mean the same thing. But then Paul's points to two particular things, this eating 
uh, issue as well as esteeming different days, which are like the Jewish holidays, for instance. And so do you have to keep those days, and do those days mean everything? And and Paul says those are non-essentials. I can remember that that I've known some people in the past who um, had a that they be- deeply believed in pacifism for Christians, and, and which is it's a perfectly acceptable point of view within Christianity. And then the the reality is is that that it's difficult for for that those two opinions, pacifism or non-pacifism, to to exist quietly with one another. It seems it seems like we've got to have arguments about those things. And that they will become entrenched essential positions very quickly. And and there's room for both of those in the church. And we need to be able to allow for those kinds of things not to divide us. We've got to be able to, to not anathematize one another over those non-essentials. Um, this guy that Jesus leaves behind in the country of the Gerasenes is a very basic testimony. We don't know what Jesus taught him as he sat there, but we need know that he also received the Holy Spirit if he persevered in faith, and then he would have had a fuller testimony of Jesus even than his own healing, because ultimately the testimony of Jesus has to point to the crucifixion and the resurrection. And it has to also then point to the coming again. So therefore it has to point to the ascension. So we got all these things that we have to keep in mind and that our testimony is not the ultimate testimony of Jesus. The resurrection, the ascension, and the coming again are the ultimate testimonies. But you can't skip over the crucifixion either because that's the essential part. If, he, if, if he's just resurrected from the dead without being crucified and taking my sins on him, then, then it means nothing for me personally. It just means that he's an extraordinary person who is going to be um, here in the end times when we're not. So the good news is, is that, that not only was he resurrected from the dead, that he died for our sins that we might also participate in that resurrection. And so Paul is saying here, don't pass judgment on your brother on these non-essential things. You know, so long as that person is fixed on, uh, on the Father and fixed on Jesus and led by the power of the Holy Spirit, then, then our point is not to argue in, in incessantly with that person. There's a difference between an argument and a discussion. And I know that difference, and I've seen that difference over some of these kinds of issues. I know people who get incensed that Christians um, celebrate things like Easter and Christmas because they consider those to be pagan holidays, and they'll tend then to be, and their fallback position becomes the Jewish holidays. Well, no, is the answer to that. You you, you can't anathematize people who, uh, who keep... Um, holidays you don't keep and call those pagan because the origins might be pagan. I have no earthly idea about these things, and I believe they're probably right about some of that. But the, but the origin of the way that it's celebrated might be, but the origins of the uh, of the holidays themselves are deeply rooted in the church. And so we've got to make sure that we get those two things separate. We don't want to separate ourselves from people unnecessarily, and we want to be able to call people brothers. But it all comes down to the essentials. What do we believe? And that's kind of what what Solomon comes back to in the beginning, is the essential thing is we not have idols, that we have one God, and that it be Yahweh. And in that, we can begin then to talk about other things and different things, but, but we need not separate over anything else.